You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you have a a Bible, if you want to open it up to Luke chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. Uh, If anyone needs a Bible, I read from the ESV uh, translation. Luke chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 15 here in a moment. It is, it's good to be back. I heard uh, Josh's message this week. I was encouraged and, and challenged by it, and thank you for the word that you brought. Um, what a blessing. Thank you guys even for leading this morning. The songs that we get to sing, I just minister already to uh, my soul. I imagine yours as well. It's a, it's a pleasure, Josh, to serve alongside of you. And uh, we're, we're kind of continuing on in the passage that Josh preached on last week, where John the Baptist, where he was uh, calling people to repentance. He was baptizing them, calling them to um, kind of turn from their sins and be baptized. And, uh, but what I want you to see here, I want you to see the heart of John the Baptist. Uh, the title of, the, of my sermon is, He Must Increase, But I Must Decrease. It's actually just quoting Ju- uh, John 3.30, uh, where John the Baptist said that. So a little confusing that the title is actually a quotation from a scripture elsewhere. But that, that's like the heart of the matter. That's the heart of the sermon. That's actually what I see happening is, is John the Baptist, he's on the scene, and people are like, are you the Christ? And he's like, no, I'm not. And he starts backing away, and he starts telling them who the Christ is. He must increase. I must decrease. I pray that all of us would get that heart uh, in us today and in the days to come. I think that's the, that's the big thing, part of this passage. We also we see the obedience of Christ uh, to get baptized. And then at the end of the message, I'll just I'll really focus calling people to follow that uh, that example of baptism in obedience. Be very clear. So that's where we're going here this morning. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word, we'll be reading Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. And the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with you, I am well pleased. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. 
And before uh, going on any further, I'd like to seek the Lord again in prayer because I need, I need him. Oh Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. I pray, oh God, that you would uh, speak to us through it. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your anointing, that you would uh, speak through me, your servant, oh Lord, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would change people as only you can, oh God, that you'd open up eyes to your truth, that we would see again more clearly who Jesus Christ is. We'd see more clearly who we are. Oh Lord, that you would increase, that we would decrease. May you do that in each one of us. May you do that in our church corporately. Oh God, so I pray for clarity. I pray for courage. I pray, God, just for, again, your holy anointing. God, use this time to bless your people with your word. We know it does not return to you void. And so we're praying and asking that you would Feed us again uh, from your scriptures this morning, O Lord. We come hungry, we come needy. Uh, Meet with us and feed us again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want us to see uh, in verses 15 to 18 this clear focus on Christ. Again, John the Baptist is there. All the people are being gathered to him, and he's baptizing them. And as all these people are are, are repenting of their sins and being baptized, They start to question. Look there at verse 15 with me. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Like, again, think of the expectation that was happening. There's that Roman rule. There's there's soldiers about. They had to pay taxes. There's this constant longing. Is the Messiah going to come? He's going to set us free. And so they're like, "Is, is this the guy? Is this him? And there's such a strong, actually, expectation for it. David Garland notes about the historian Josephus, who wrote about that time. Josephus mentions how susceptible the people were to deceivers who held out false hopes of deliverance. Like there were constantly people who would come around and they'd be like, oh, is this the Savior? Is this the one who's going to lead us out? And they would follow them. And actually, um, Peter, in a sermon recorded in the book of Acts, mentions this. Acts 5, 36-37. He says this, Before these days, uh, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be someone. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And that's just like a few little examples. There was this longing, this desire, and people were looking like, who is going to rescue us? Who is going to be it? So they're always willing to like, hey, maybe it's this guy. And a group would start to follow him, and then they would be dispersed. Maybe it's this person. So there's this longing, this expectation. We see this even as we saw Simeon in Luke chapter 2. As he had this waiting for the consolation of Israel. We see that as a... Oh, what is her name? Anna. Yes, thank you. As, as Anna, as she was speaking to everyone about the coming of the redemption of Israel, there's this growing expectation of what was to happen. So everyone's looking for the Christ, but they're not sure who he was. It's almost, I don't know if you've ever tried to meet someone in a coffee shop, but you don't know what they look like. I don't know why I've done that a number of times. Where you wouldn't say like, hey, I'm going to be wearing this, this is, but like no markings. And so you're sitting there like watching, is this the person? 
I don't know why. I've got to quit doing that. I've got to say, hey, this is what I'm wearing. <laughs> but that's almost what it was. They were like this expectation of the Messiah. And they're like, John the Baptist, okay, he has people gathered to himself. He's calling people to repentance to God. Like, is this the Christ? Maybe this is him. Growing expectation. I love how John responds. He's like, hey, don't get it confused. He brings such clarity to his response. There's, there's no question after he speaks. And notice what he says in response. He says this, John answered them all. Like, hey, no one missed this, what I'm about to say. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Like, do you see how strong the contrast was? And, and I love it. I love because he, he, he adds to it. He doesn't say, hey, there's someone mightier than me coming. Like, okay, like he's a little bit stronger, a little bit more powerful. Like, what is it like? What's the contrast? No, no, the one who's coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Like, that's the gap. It's not like it's like kind of close and he's just a little bit stronger. Like, I, I'm not actually worthy enough to stoop down and untie his sandals on his feet. Which many ancient writers said that was actually such a degrading thing to do. It would be for a slave to do, to untie someone's sandals. A Hebrew slave would not even do it. Out of honor and respect. John the Baptist is like, actually, I'm not even worthy, though, to do that. That's how much greater the Christ is than me. And you and think about who's saying this. John the Baptist. And Jesus says this about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verse 11. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He also adds, though, yet, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. As in what's, what's coming, as in the new covenant. But So at that time, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. From everyone who had come before. And John's saying, actually, but in comparison to the Messiah, he is so much greater, it's not even comparable. I can't even untie his sandals. And just in case the people are like, ah, what is he really trying to say here? He, can, he continues on. He continues on. But I just want you to note, though, the reverence for Jesus. And, and interesting, this saying of John the Baptist, I'm not even unworthy to untie his sandals. It's quote, quoted again by Paul in Acts chapter 13, verse 25. Like 30 years later, this saying had struck people so strongly they weren't forgetting it. What John the Baptist said. But notice the reverence for Jesus. There's, there's no Jesus is my homeboy type language. You know what I mean? Like the one who is like so close to him, who baptized him, he wasn't, oh yeah, G Jesus? No, no, he's the Messiah. There, there, there was this great reverence for him. Those who are closest to him lifted him high. So we need to like remember that. We need to, as we get to know Jesus, Lord, may we have that same reverence. My, my prayer for myself, for you as well. And, and if anyone was confused, if anyone's like, well, what, is, what, is he, what does he mean by that? He continues on. Remember, so John says, hey, I baptize you with water. But as he continues, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. Again, people, they're, what their longing was for the Messiah was still being shaped. And John is starting to just focus in on who the Christ is. What was he to be about? Baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We, we know in Scripture that God is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So interesting to say that the, no, the Messiah is going to give a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe those who are listening, though, they wouldn't have been that surprised at this language we have in the Old Testament, these promises of a time to come when the Holy Spirit would be given to people. Uh, for example, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 36, 27, it's written, I will, God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. You shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. So maybe there's this, already this expectation that the one who's going to come, he's going to bring the spirit, he's going to be on people. Maybe that wouldn't have been that shocking to them. As we know, as we read the gospel accounts, we know Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who does it. He's the one who brings the Holy Spirit upon people. We see this in, in John's gospel. In John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I'm just pointing that out, that the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit Jesus, later on in his ministry, he's like, yeah, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be coming in response to me. I need to go so he can come. He is the one who is going to do it. We see this promise fulfilled first at Pentecost in Scripture as the Holy Spirit comes on all the believers. We actually, we see it again happen. Interesting that like when Peter in Acts chapter 10, he he, he's brought to these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who at that time they had not really come into the faith yet. And Peter goes, after he sees a vision three times, and he goes and he preaches to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And as he's speaking to them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they believe, and they start speaking in other languages. And interesting, when Peter is recounting this to the, the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, he says, oh yeah, I remember what was said about Jesus, that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the fulfillment of it. That Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. This is what is said about him. But it doesn't just say he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. It also says he will baptize with fire. Is, is this a blessing? Is this a, is this a good thing? In, in, at Pentecost, there were tongues of fire that came upon the people. Other places in Scripture, fire is used as like a purifying element. But no, I, I believe that this baptism of fire speaks of judgment. There, there's this theme of God's judgment by fire found throughout the Old Testament. I just want to show you a couple places. Isaiah uh, 66, verses 15 to 16. It said, For behold, the Lord will come in fire. And his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword 
with all flesh, and those slain by the, the Spirit or by the Lord, sorry, shall be many. Also in, a, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38, 22, it says this, With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him. I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many people who are with him, torrential rains and hailstorms, fire and sulfur. I just want you to see in the Old Testament there's already this picture of this of fire coming down in judgment. So when people heard, oh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, would they be quick to think, oh, is he talking about judgment? I believe it is, but kind of maybe shocking for them, their expectation of the Messiah was that he would deal with the enemies, the enemies of the Jewish people, not bring judgment upon the Jewish people. And again, so we see in the Old Testament this picture of fire and judgment, but if you're like, I don't know, because I, I know some people are like, oh, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, like that's a good thing, that's a positive thing. But really, if you just read the next verse, uh, I, I think it gives great clarity. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his, fleshing, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I remember I was teaching a, a, this class in, in Haiti. They would watch like Bible teaching on video and then I would kind of stand in and answer a few questions. And I remember this passage because we were talking about how Jesus came to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, and many of them were uh, a different uh, church background. They're like, oh, that's like a blessing. Like the fire of the Lord falls down, and it's, like, it's a good thing. I'm like, I don't think that passage is talking about that. And I just showed them the next verse. Like as we read things in context, it helps us understand what the Bible is saying. Because what does it say? His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, Many of us have, have winnowed wheat before. Many, any, no? <laughs> so I, I guess the practice that you would like take the wheat that you would gather, you throw it up in the air, the wheat would be heavier than the chaff, and you separate the chaff, which was useless, from the wheat. But it seems like it's already separated here. Right? The, the wheat is gathered into the barn, and the chaff, the useless things, will he'll burn with unquenchable fire. It's saying this of Jesus. Think of John the Baptist's ministry, the verses before, he was calling people to repentance and to prove their repentance with the fruit of their life. He was calling people to make a decision. And for those who were like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to repent, I want to get baptized, I want to do something different, I think there's like the promise of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For those who are like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with this, there's a baptism of fire. That's promised. That the, the one, the Messiah, he's going to bring. So those who respond in repentance and faith, there's a promise of the Holy Spirit. Those who respond in disbelief, scoffing, mocking, pride, there's judgment. There's, there's judgment to come. Think about, maybe, I don't know if this is shocking for you, but even in, later on in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to 53. These are the words of Jesus. And he said, I, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would it be that it were already kindled? I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. I believe he's talking about the cross there. Do you think that I have come to give 
peace on earth, no, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. There will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus came to bring division amongst family. We don't think about it that way, but I think what it's being said there and, and the baptism of fire, there's a judgment if you reject Christ. There's a division that's created for those who will follow Jesus and those who say, I don't want anything to do with him. There is a separation there. Jesus brings judgment to those who won't repent and turn from their sins, but mercy for those who turn from their rebellious ways and call on God. And I think this judgment is pointing to the judgment to come. Because, friends, hell is real, it's horrible. Is suffering and anguish. The Bible describes it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a term to grab your attention, and it's eternal. And so the one who would come to bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit also brings the baptism of fire and judgment. But to hear that today, like, there's always the call, repent and turn and believe in Jesus Christ. And though the one who comes with judgment, if you repent, if you turn, you're like, yeah, I'm going to surrender my life to God. I want to follow him. Forgive me of my sins. There's mercy. There's mercy. Today could be the day of salvation. Call and believe in Jesus Christ. And friends, for all the rest of us who have believed, call, there's a call to believe in the Christ of the Scriptures. Like, we, we had this little children's book at home. I was just flipping through it. Like a children's, um, speaking about the life of Jesus. And it's just like he walked everywhere, and, and he's, he's love, and he loved everyone, and he told everyone about love, and his disciples told everyone else about love. And it, it's a children's book, so take for what it's worth. I'm like, oh, it doesn't even talk about the cross. It, it like picks this picture of, like a, of, a, of a different Jesus almost. And so we need continually to have our our picture of Jesus Christ refined by the one of Scripture. And not only does he come with a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he also comes with a baptism of fire. And he comes with mercy to those who would seek mercy, but those who refuse is one of judgment. And again, we would plead with anyone who is here today who does not know the Lord in that way, turn to Christ. Believe in him. This is his description, John the Baptist's description of the Messiah to come. In verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Interesting, this is the good news. The good, the good news is, is where he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance in, in 3 verse 8. Where he actually preaches like this hard word to people to turn from their sinful ways. And that's good news. And why is it good news? Because imagine... If you're on, the Bible says we have two paths, and one path is a, is a, a road to destruction. It leads to hell. And it, it's good news because if you're walking on this path and you're, you're close there and the Lord calls you to respond in faith and you're saved, all of a sudden you go on the, the, the narrow road which leads to heaven. That's, that's good news. That's good news of great joy. For anyone who would ever make that turn, the Lord would save them beyond this path. And so John, he, with all the words he had, he exhorted people to turn, to trust. 
But I, I want you to see, right? John's giving clarity on who the Christ was. Is it you? He, he quickly backs away. It's not me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then paints the, a greater picture of the Christ to come. He's focusing in on Christ. Friends, isn't, isn't that, shouldn't that be the desire of our hearts? Zeroing in on Christ in greater detail should be the goal of our lives, of our church. Right? Just, just think of, of whatever happens in life. People are like, wow, like, you're pretty good. Look, look what you're doing. Like, wow, good for you. You're doing amazing. And you're like, well, thank God. Or someone says something like, man, I, you're so kind. You're so gentle. Like, that's amazing. You're like, no, no, no. If you know who I was truly inside, this is all the work of the Holy Spirit forming Christ in me, forming Christ in you. Any good that we see in each other, man, that's God's work. Praise be to the Lord. He must increase. We must decrease. Just as John the Baptist has that zeroing in on focusing on Christ, I pray for all of us that would be in our lives. Continue to look to the Lord. Continue to make much of Jesus. Turning to verse 19 and 20, we see the focus fades on the Baptist. Not the focus fades on Baptists, focus fade on the Baptist, John Baptist, just so you're not confused. <laughs> Look at verse 19, though Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, by John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all, he locked up John in prison. Now, try to catch this. David Gar Garland was helpful. So Herod, first, he was already married. He divorced his wife in order to marry the daughter of another brother who was married, like, to a half-brother who was married to another half-brother. So he divorced his wife to marry his half-brother's daughter who was married to another half-brother got them to divorce, and they came together. Heinous in the eyes of the Lord. Goes against Scripture, goes against Leviticus 18, verse 16. And then more than that, you have John the Baptist, God's prophet, who's like, hey, that's not lawful. That's not okay. And he calls them out on it. And he puts them in prison. And we, and we know the rest of the story. It leads to his death. But think like the forerunner for Christ, that his ministry ends in him going to jail and then he gets beheaded. That's the forerunner. And the one that he prepared the way for, Christ, gets nailed to a cross. But John came with that prophetic voice. I, I want us to see here, take note, as we speak God's truth, we should expect suffering. As we speak God's truth, we should expect suffering. I, I believe it's important for us to grasp in 2024 in Canada. That you won't hear here from the pulpit that like, hey friends, as believers, things are just going to be easy. Things are going to go well. I want to point out just a few scriptures to you along those lines. Jesus in John 15, verse 18 to 20. Jesus says this, John 15, 18 to 20, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, 
The world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And I just want to point out one other place in Scripture, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. 1 Peter written to Christians who are suffering for their faith, calling them to continue to persevere. It says, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's going to be the, that's the calling of our lives as Christians, to suffer for his name. We're, we've been in an anomaly in church history, where brothers and sisters currently around the world are suffering greatly for calling on the name of Jesus. I think our time continues to get closer. We will, we will join them. But question, just as John the Baptist, as he called Herod, taking his half-brother's wife, and he called out the sin, is that our job as Christians? Is it our job to call out sin? And I would say yes and no. Yes in the church, we are to call out sin. And yes, in each other's lives. I just want to point this out to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedier, greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There's this purity that's called for within the church, the calling out of sin. But just think in our, in our culture, in our society, you know, is God calling every one of us to call out sin in other people's lives? I don't think so. I think relationships, time and place, maybe God's calling you to do that. But I think one thing that's clear, simply if we, in our society, if we just tell the truth, as a, an author put it, as we live not by lies, there's, there's just a conflict that is happening. It's inevitable. Like, we're not seeking it. We're not running after it. But just if we're like, hey, I believe in marriage between a man and a woman. There's conflict. I believe God made us male and female. There's, there's conflict. And so it's not like we're like John the Baptist. We're seeking it. He had a prophetic voice. He had a, a calling. Maybe some of you have that calling. But I think just standing on truth in this day and age, we will run into that. We will see it. May God give us grace to stand to proclaim Christ in it. I just wanted to stop and, and talk about that. I don't think our role is as John the Baptist. Our role, though, is like John the Baptist. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. But even in doing that, there's going to be conflict with this world. All that, all, all to say, 
In Luke's gospel, with John being arrested, it actually happened chronologically at a different time. But Luke, in telling the story, he's like, hey, John was on the scene. John later went to prison. It's about Jesus now. Like, that, that's what's happening in this section. It's basically like if you're watching a play and the spotlight was on John the Baptist for a moment, he exits stage left, the light shines bright on Jesus Christ and doesn't leave. That's what's happening in Luke's gospel. And friends, now I want us to just focus in on Jesus' baptism. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. I want us to notice a number of things. Look at at what was Jesus doing when he was baptized or when he came up out of the waters. Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Prayer is such a huge focus in Luke's gospel. A huge emphasis we'll see time and time again. But I love this, like seeming like Jesus as he comes up out of the waters of baptism, he's praying. He begins his ministry in prayer. What's Jesus doing right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He prayed throughout his ministry. He prayed as he went to the cross. He prayed for his disciples before he ascended into heaven. I just love this picture that Luke gives us. As Jesus comes up, he's already praying. He's dependent upon God the Father is dependent upon the Holy Spirit for ministry, for life. How much more us? We see here this picture. The Holy Spirit descending on him. The heavens were open. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. Again, this is the starting point of Jesus' ministry. Led by the Holy Spirit. Why do we know it's the starting point? The next verse, again, the context. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. The other gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, they start with Jesus' baptism. The Spirit coming on him. Now it begins. Jesus, again, he's fulfilling Old Old Testament prophecy. I just want to show you one in Isaiah 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It continues. The Spirit of God came upon him to do that work. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus reads that in the synagogue and then sits down and says, Today it's been fulfilled in your presence. The Spirit had to come upon him to begin the ministry. Only Luke has In his gospel, it came in bodily form as the Spirit came down. It came like a dove. But interesting, before that, this picture, we never had a picture of the Holy Spirit being a dove before this. We have the dove uh, in Genesis chapter 8, returning with an olive leaf, being a picture of peace. So for sure, that, that picture is already there. But every kind of image after this, now in Christian art, the Holy Spirit's referred to as a dove because of this moment. I love John MacArthur points out that it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't there with Jesus because you think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have an unbroken unity. 
for all of eternity. But the Holy Spirit came upon him visibly to start his earthly ministry. One commentator writes this, David Garland, it represents divine empowering, not divine adoption. Jesus already was the Son of God. He already was called to ministry, but it's showing him getting empowered for the ministry he was about to walk in. The Spirit comes down, and then the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Or with you I take pleasure in. I love this. Jesus had done nothing in ministry before receiving the statement from the Father. He'd done nothing. It's a statement of being, not doing. The Father is just well pleased with him because of who he was. Clearly not just a man. When he says, you're my, my son, he's of the same essence of the Father. We have this clear description here of the Trinity. Right? You see the Holy Spirit present. You see the Son coming up out of the water. You have the voice coming down from heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amazing. All present. Three persons, one essence, one God. Just think about this. At Jesus' birth, there were the angels singing, this multitude of angels. But it's at his baptism that you have the Spirit descending on him, and then the Father speak this word. This is why he came. This is what he was to be about. This ministry was beginning. The voice of the Father. I just want to point out the witnesses. Think about God the Father. He says, this is my beloved Son. And the question, like, will you say, yes, it's true, I believe. We already have the witnesses before. We have John the Baptist. Hey, the one who's going to come, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yes, I believe. We already have the angels in a multitude saying, this is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Yes, I believe. Over and over again, there's these witnesses of other people. Now we have God the Father saying, will you believe or not? Why was Jesus baptized? Just very, very quickly, this list taken from a study Bible, he was consecrated to God. Matthew 3.15, Jesus says to John the Baptist, let it be so now, for thus it's sitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is what he's supposed to walk in as the Messiah. Secondly, John publicly announced the start of his ministry. In John's gospel, John's like, I don't even know who the Messiah is, but the one who told me to baptize says, when I see the dove come upon him, that's the Messiah. And so when he baptizes him and he sees this, later on he says, oh, here is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus had to be baptized for John to announce the start of his ministry. I think this is the most significant, though. By Jesus' baptism, he completely identified with man's sin and failure. Everyone, John the Baptist is calling everyone to repent. Turn from your sins and be baptized. And Jesus comes perfect, in righteousness, never sinned once in his life, and he goes and gets baptized. He identifies with the sin of the people that he came to save. Jesus, the friend of sinners, being baptized. That excites me the most. And then lastly, he, he was baptized as an example to his followers. And friends, in, in finishing this message, I just want to zero in on that at this moment. 
that Jesus was baptized, how about you? And I'm really specifically speaking to those who have believed in Jesus but yet haven't been baptized since they believed. We, we see in the, in the Bible, we as followers of Jesus are called to be baptized too. Matthew 28, right? Go into the world and baptize. Go into the world, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So people who are disciples of Jesus, you're like, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Matthew 28 says, oh, then you will get baptized. That, that will be your, your next step. We see in the other gospel accounts the, the way in which Jesus was baptized. And in Matthew and Mark, it really shows that Jesus, he came up out of the water. The term baptism, every time it's used, it means to immerse, dip, like fully. So as Jesus came up out of the water, that's why we believe the, the mode matters. We want to see people go under the water, just as Jesus went under the water and come back out. But also the picture that's given within Scripture Baptism is a symbolic act. It's an outward act of an inward reality. In Romans 6, 4, it talks about just as Jesus was buried in the grave and rose again to new life. So baptism is to be a picture of that. That's why you want to go down into the water and come back up again. Though baptism is not for saving. Baptism is saying, hey, I've actually already believed in Jesus Christ, and now I'm going to take that step of obedience. He's actually changed my heart already, and so now I'm going to, just as Jesus went into the grave and came back again, I'm going to do that in baptism. I'm going to follow him. Just think, how does one enter into the new covenant? How is one born again? It's through faith in Christ. Repentance and faith in Jesus, and then baptism. I, I think the order is quite important. Right? You don't get baptized to believe in Jesus Christ. Because you have believed in Jesus, you get baptized. And friends, that's the, that's the pattern we see in the Bible. And notice I keep saying, believe and be baptized. So for those who maybe grew up in a church tradition, where as a baby, someone sprinkled water on you. And no offense, and I love my Presbyterian and Dutch Reformed and all these different backgrounds. I love them. We'll see them in heaven. But I think in Scripture it's so clear that you must believe and be baptized. We see this pattern in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. As Peter preaches this sermon, he says, repent, believe, and be baptized. And those people who took his word who believed were baptized. We see in, in Acts chapter 8, there's this Ethiopian eunuch who's returning from Jerusalem He's sitting in his chariot. He's reading on a scroll to Isaiah 53. And Philip, one of the followers of Christ, was on the road, was brought there by the Spirit. He's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? He explains to him the gospel. And he believes in that moment on this random road. And after he believes, he's like, hey, hey, oh wait, there's water. What's stopping me from getting baptized? And he gets out and gets baptized. It's actually that quick. You're like, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm following him. Yes. Then, then get baptized. Just the question is, are you a follower of Jesus and have yet to be baptized? What are you waiting for? 
what is holding you back? I know, I think we have these lies that we're like, when I get to a certain place spiritually, then I'll get baptized. Where do you see that in Scripture? All of us are sinners saved by grace. And if we're waiting until we get to that place, we won't get there. We're saved by the Lord. If you believe to get baptized, I would just say a caveat there to this encouragement for those who are younger, younger in age, for parents, wait and watch. Wait and watch. You know, if the child says, yeah, I believed in Jesus and I want to be baptized, give it time. Is there fruit in their life that they've been transformed by God? I don't want to give it a set time to that but then also are they able to articulate the gospel in some way shape or form not perfectly not dotting every theological i but can they say this is what's happened in my life this is what jesus has done and then also i I would make sure they're they're not doing it for their parents for themselves so you kind of have to get to a certain age for that to happen i know so many people who got baptized a second time, or a first time, if you will, because they're like, yeah, looking back, I wasn't really a believer. So many people have that testimony. So we want to, with wisdom, tread lightly there. Friends, if you haven't been baptized, don't wait for a special day or place. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, there's water. What's stopping me? Maybe for some... Maybe you're nervous to be in front of people, to give a short testimony. Just know that everyone is cheering you on. Everyone's excited. And and truth be told, every Sunday with fear and trembling, I stand up here to bring God's word. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I'm like, okay, I'll die a little bit more today to speak of the one who died for me. But if, if, if whatever's holding you back, if there's nerves, if it's articulating, we can help you as you write out your testimony. It can be short. It can be sweet. It will be sweet. <laughs> but but and if that's something like, wow, I really cannot speak in front of people, we can figure out a way. We can record it. Don't, don't let that stand your way to baptism. And I'll just say this. Just lastly, something to consider Baptism is is a public declaration of your faith to the church. And you know know what else is, is is the taking of communion. Every time we take communion, you're saying, yes, I've been born again. I've trusted in Jesus Christ, and so I'm going to take the bread, symbolizes his body broken for my sins, and the blood paid for my sins. And so we have the practice in our house, and I'm just sharing with you, not that you have to do it. We've told our children, hey, you guys, we, one day we want to see you take communion. But we want to see you get baptized first. Because those things are both you need faith in Christ to do. And if you're saying, yes, I'm willing to take communion because I'm a believer, okay, let's get baptized. And then take communion. You by no means have to hold to this standard. We're not, I'm not policing the table. But I would just ask you, if you are willing 
month after month to take communion, why are you not willing to be baptized? And friends, there's such a blessing in obedience for all of us in any place to say yes to what God lays out in Scripture. Anywhere you're like, oh, this, I need to obey this. I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a blessing to following. When you see it, seek to obey it. There's a blessing, a fruit of the Spirit. There's fellowship with God with one another. Church is encouraged. I pray if you're hearing this today, if God's calling you to do it, maybe your act of obedience in the future, sharing your testimony, going into baptism, encourages someone else in ways that you don't even know. It's such a blessing to the church. For any area where you see a believer walk in obedience, it encourages, it exhorts every one of us. So friends, if, if you're hearing this, if, if you want to get baptized, talk to me, one of the elders, Josh. If you, if you miss us today, go online, you click on connect at our website and click baptism. And all it is, the, the next step is filling out an application. That's the wrong word. You just write your testimony. What was life like before Christ? When did you come to know Christ? How has he changed your life? Why do you want to get baptized? And it can be like a couple sentences. And if that's hard, we can help you walk through it. We can help. If God is convicting your heart here, I would encourage you, walk in obedience. Don't wait. Friends, may Jesus increase. May we decrease. May we follow God's will in obedience by the Holy Spirit, exalting Christ to the glory of God the Father. May I close this word in prayer now. Oh God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the clarity of it. What a blessing, Lord Jesus, that you give us the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide, to guide us into all truth. Oh Lord, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. I pray those who heard today who know they believe and know they need to take that step, Lord, convict them. Oh, that they would walk in obedience and find freedom to do so. That would be a blessing. I pray, Lord, those who, who heard today and hear that you came to bring judgment, may they hear even louder that you came to bring mercy through Christ on the cross. Oh, Lord, help us to live that which we know. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.